Welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Ruth Browning. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Thank you, God. Thank you for your anointing. Thank you for your presence. God, speak to us. Take us forward, Lord. Let us learn, I pray. Thank you for your presence, Lord God. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Bless the Lord. Well, thank you for that lovely happy birthday. That's very kind. Thank you to the boomers. They're always so sweet. And lovely words from Joe, who I think is out with children now. And uh, Mr. Gooding, as he was when I first met him. Because I was a student at Abbotsley and he was the teacher at Knox. So everybody knew about Mr. Gooding. I think he actually read one of my essays once, one of my ones from uni. I remember it. I wrote about Jane Austen. I wrote about there's no God in, the, in um, Jane Austen's, yes. <laughs> so anyway, it's lovely, isn't it? We have all sorts of different histories. We've got old friends and new friends. How wonderful. I'm so blessed. Hallelujah. So I don't know if you remember, Chris and I both have turned 60 this year. And when Chris turned 60, he preached on Six Decades, Six Lessons. So I thought I might do the same. So let's begin. So just lessons that I've, I learnt over those six decades, just thinking back over key lessons that were important to me. So from the age of naught to 10, Chris spoke, said that he learnt obedience with his Air Force father. <laughs> But for me, I've written that one of the key lessons for me from 6 to 10, naught to 10, was that I am loved. So I hope that you learn that lesson too. You are loved. Ephesians 1, 4 to 6 says this, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. As a child, I had a a lovely mum and dad who loved me. I had a, a fairly happy and secure home. Obviously, no home's perfect, but it was pretty good. Hi, Mum. She listens, so. (laughs) It was pretty good. I'm very blessed. Mum and Dad uh, provided very well for us, and they took us to a great school, and uh, or sent me to a great school, and um, I had uh, generally a very happy childhood, generally very happy. Um, You know, we had a few interesting things. I, I remember my best friend up and disappeared at the age of 16. She just turned 16 and left home and left our lives and left her parents and we never heard from her again. No one knew where she was because at 16 you're allowed to leave home legally so that was a bit weird. 
But um, I'm sorry for some of you that perhaps didn't have a happy childhood because not everybody did. I know that. And perhaps you didn't feel altogether loved. One of the wonderful things that I hope that you can get a hold of this morning is that while I learnt that lesson in that decade, all of these lessons can be learnt at any time. And it was good because Chris and I had different key lessons from each decade. And so, you know, perhaps you've never, haven't learnt that lesson yet, but start now because each of these lessons is important and there's no reason to say, well, I missed that, missed a happy childhood. You know, God is a restorer and a redeemer. And if you didn't feel loved in your childhood, John Middlehoff's giving me a great big nod because I know that John didn't have a happy childhood in many ways, but he knows he's loved. And God restores. He's amazing. So if you haven't felt this lesson when at that time, grab a hold of it now. Grab a hold of it now and go, I grab a hold of that lesson and watch what God will do in redeeming in redeeming your life. He wants to love you. So even though I had a fairly happy time, I, I, I wasn't entirely happy. Something was really missing from my life. And I was very frightened of dying. It's quite an intense little thing. <laughs> Six, seven, eight. I just remember at night... I remember thinking there was a monster under my bed. Who had a monster under their bed? I just remember the monster under my bed. I used to... I used to not want to get out of bed and then when I did I used to jump quite a long way so that I didn't go near it and jump onto the bed. So I don't suppose the monster under my bed helped very much but, um, but I used to wonder about death and dying and I used to think well, when you die that's, that's it, you don't exist anymore, like that's, you're just finished, you, that's it and I used to think about that and then think and that's forever, forever and ever and ever and I go, I remember I got very frightened. Just think about that. That would freak me out. And so then I tried to seek God and go, well, well, I need to know about God. What's this business about God? But I didn't know about God. And I had an old King James Bible. I tried to read it. It didn't make a lot of sense, but I gave it my best shot. And uh, I, I I was concerned every night, I remember. And I would pray and one night I I got saved. One night in my seeking, the Lord came and met me. <laughs> and I was probably about 10. I don't even really know how old I was. I can't remember, but I was a little girl. And I just know that God, God sees a seeking heart and he sees a hungry heart and he always responds. He'll never leave us hanging there. So I, one night I just was seeking him, looking out my window like, God, are you there? Are you there? And I remember that night... He, he responded and gloriously saved me. And I remember the key for me was instead of trying to impress God and trying to reach him with my own strength and strategy, I don't know how I had this revelation, but at some, somehow he showed me that the issue between me and him was sin. Now, as a little girl, I wasn't particularly bad. <laughs> I was actually quite a good little girl. But I understood the nature of sin. It's deep inside of us and it's very serious. And I confessed my sin to God. I didn't confess any particular sin. I just remember going, oh, I'm a sinner. I'm so sorry, God. I'm so sorry. And at that moment, he uh, sent a light from heaven, a a glorious light. Like it filled the sky and it it travelled down into my room and into my heart. And I was saved. 
And I knew that God had heard me because I saw the light. You hear people say, I saw the light? Well, I did. And it was a literal light. I had my eyes wide open. I saw this light. And I was flooded with joy, unbelievable joy and incredible peace. And just a knowing now, it's all good. I'm good. I'm good for all eternity. And from that moment to this, I never, ever was worried about death again because I know where I'm going. I'm going to be with God in heaven. And from that moment till now, I've always wanted to serve my wonderful Father who saved me and Jesus who came into my heart. So I want you to know whether you are loved by your parents and family or not, you are loved and you were loved and you were chosen to be born on this earth for a purpose and that was to be loved by your Father in heaven and to love him back. That's why you were born. That's you. Sometimes we feel this emptiness. It's because we're not where we're meant to be, which is in the presence of God and being loved by him and known by him. And so life has its ups and downs, I know, but that's the most important lesson. And I was very blessed to learn that lesson before before in the first decade of my life, that, that I am loved. I'm very much loved. And so are you. And I hope that you experience that love for yourselves. So I really could just stop there, really, couldn't I? That's it. I feel like I, I figured it all out by the age of 10. I'm good to go. <laughs> I was. I was good to go. I could have died then. I was happy. But God wanted me to do some things in life. So 10 to 20 the lesson that Chris had was you must be born again because Chris was saved later than I was as a teenager. Um, but my, what I learned there in 10 to 20 was there's lots to learn and that this, this was a learning season for me. As I said, I was a good girl and I was a good student and I loved school. I went to a good school and I was very busy learning lots, doing well at school. Well, you know, we're all different. Some of you weren't so good at school didn't learn, but I did. And uh, I started to go to church and I learned some of the basics of Christianity, about the Bible and things like that. And I was busy being a success at that time. I wanted to be successful at school and I was. I was like, wanted to get in the sporting teams and the debating team and, you know, be in the play. I wanted to be in everything and do everything well. And I did. I did, I did very well at school. But I think it's good to learn about life, obviously, and learn well at school. But what I really learned at that time, I, I began to understand that the most important lessons were the lessons, the spiritual lessons. So I left school feeling like I, I could have done better because I felt like I focused on my success and what I wanted to do and, and I wanted to be, you know, the star at school. And, um, you know, I got, I'd get awards and prizes and all that. But inside I felt like I wasn't really learning enough about God and about Jesus. And it wasn't until the end of this, this, this season, I remember at the age of 17 and then again at 18, the two key lessons that I finally did learn uh, and you've sh I've shared this before, how a friend, <laughs> when I was 17, she sat me down one day and said, you know, Ruth, you don't ever listen to anyone. And I was like, what? Like, what? Where'd this come from? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? 
But anyway, she, she proceeded to give me a really solid rebuke about how I just talked a lot and didn't listen. And I didn't know that I didn't listen because if you're not a good listener, you don't know that you're not a good listener. So you either know that you're a good listener, you're conscious of the exercise of listening, or you don't know because you don't do it. So I didn't know that I wasn't good because I never did it. <laughs> but she shared with me, and I remember that profoundly changed my life. And I began to learn to listen, and I began to learn to learn lessons that God wanted to teach me about my character, not just how to be a good debater or how to be good at netball or hockey, but how to be a better person. They're the lessons we want to learn, how to actually have my character formed by God. How interesting is that? Now, as I said, I was a pretty good girl. So it wasn't about me sort of learning to like, oh, I'm not going to go drinking anymore. I'm not going to do this. But it's almost worse sometimes if you're a good girl because you think you're good enough. I knew how to be a nice girl and how to be polite at parties. I was taught all that. But that doesn't mean I've got a great character. That doesn't mean I'm like God, holy and righteous. I didn't even understand what that meant. This was one of my first lessons, that a holy person listens, quick to listen, slow to speak. I was like, ah. And so I began to learn what it meant to be like him and to become a different person. Still me, with my personality, but his character. So this was what I started to learn as in this season. And again, because I was a good girl, of course, I won a scholarship to go and live overseas. And um, I, I lived in Denmark for a year. And uh, the Lord taught me some great lessons in Denmark. But one of the best lessons was when I went to the Faroe Islands. They took some of us exchange students to the Faroe Islands. And uh, which is an, a set of islands that's connected to Denmark and it's halfway between Denmark and Iceland. So it was a very unique experience. And we went to the Faroe Islands and we were billeted with these family for three weeks. I lived on those islands. And uh, the family that God, of course, placed me with was this fabulously Christian family. They were so on fire for Jesus. I loved them. I still remember one of the girls' name, Lena Neshma. And they were full of Jesus. They glowed with Jesus, but they were so excited about serving him. They were like, the whole of the Faroe Islands was quite full on at that time. I hope they still are. They were into missionary work. They were like, well, we're going to do this. What missionary work are you going to do? And I'm like, I don't know. I want to go back to uni and earn some money. I don't know. But they were just full on for Jesus. And they, they were all about just giving him your life. And I realised that even though I was born again and I loved Jesus, I hadn't laid him down my life for him. I, what I wanted to do was to be a Christian because I wanted to go to heaven and I believed in God. I knew it was true, but I wanted to live my life. This is the life that I wanted to live. And then it was kind of like, okay, God, so what I want to do is this, this, this. I remember I wanted to marry someone really good and I wanted to do this and da, da, da. And then I'd like you to bless that. Thank you. I didn't have the faintest idea. That's not laying down your life. That's, 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 he's the Lord, the boss. So I didn't understand that. I didn't understand that. I go, what do you want me to do? And here's the thing. I will do anything, anything. And I remember particularly thinking, I'll be single, which for me freaked me out because I really wanted to get married and have kids. <laughs> but I remember going, 
you don't want me to get married, I won't get married. If you want wherever you want me to live, I will live there. I, I remember the very night on the Faroe Islands and I got on my knees and I said, I'll do anything. And I was scared because I thought, for sure, he's going to want me to go and be a missionary somewhere. For sure. Like some weird place he's going to send me. And I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go some weird place. I remember thinking that. But I was just like, no, I'll do anything. And that was a very, very, very important lesson to lose my life. And I'm still learning that every day. Just what do you want? And here's the thing. He did want me to be a missionary. (laughs) He sent me to Russia, crazy Russia. And I loved it because he's a good father. He's good. So the very thing that I was nervous of, like, you can be in control of my life, God. He's like, great, let's go was fantastic. And my observation from being a Christian all these years is that those Christians, and there are many, who don't let the Lord run their life, who don't give Him their lives, and they think, I'm going to figure this out. They never figure it out as well as God could have. They never do. I look at their life and I think, I don't think you're living the life that God wants you to live. In fact, I know it. I can see it because it's not that great. Whereas for those Christians who just go, okay, God, What are you going to do? Wow, who knew? Who knew that he was going to do such exciting things? That's my observation. I would not have chosen to go to Russia as a missionary. That was completely God. But I did. And look how that worked out. It's been fantastic. He's blessed us. It was an amazing experience. I would not have chosen to come to the Central Coast. I didn't want to come to the Central Coast. I remember Phil Pringle said, we should start a church in the Central Coast. I went, not me. I don't want to go there. I love the Central Coast. Don't get me wrong. This is where we came for holidays. Growing up, we went to North Avoca every single year for holidays. Had a beautiful home there. I loved it. Then the Central Coast, that's for holidays. I don't want to live there. That's for a holiday place, right? And then God said, go to the Central Coast. And so we came here. I'm like, now, I'm like, don't tell everyone in Sydney, but this is actually the best place to live. I didn't know that. I, well, I say don't tell them because they keep putting the price prices up. So we just, we just, we've got to keep it secret because they all go, are you going to? when we first started to go, they're going, are you going to the Central Coast? <laughs> like that. Seriously, all our friends were so condescending. I'm like, well, I mean, you know, it's, it's okay. Like now they all want to come. But as I said, just don't tell them. Anyway. There was God. So the lesson that I learned was the spiritual lessons and the spiritual education, which is ongoing, is so important. Let's learn from God. Let's learn from God. That's so exciting and ongoing. There's a lot to learn, 10 to 20. Okay, 20 to 30. This is what I learned. Find your people. God's was find God's call for your life. Oh, did I call you God accidentally? (laughs) Just, (laughs) okay, darling, okay. Um, (laughs) Sarah called Abraham Lord. It's very biblical. Um, My husband, Chris, who is not God and is not perfect, but yeah, sometimes I muddle them up, you know. Um, (laughs) Anyway, uh, Chris's was, find God's call for your life. But the interesting thing is, Find your people, find your destiny. You know, go to a good church. And I know you might, you know, we, we were in Sydney in a church for a while and there were a church here. Sometimes there's a couple of different churches in our lifetime, but not too many. Um, but 
you know, when you're in a good church where they boldly preach the whole Word of God and they love one another zealously and love God fervently, very often your life gets into the right position for Him to do great things. Hebrews 10.24 says this, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. That's actually words quite strong there. It's exhorting, it's prodding one another, as Joe said. And all the more as you see the day approaching. So it's very important for us to find wise people and to encourage and prod each other and push each other along. Because when we're together, when we're together, here's a great thing. 1 Corinthians 2.16 Who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? Now, as a Westerner, we're so individualistic that we read that, we have the mind of Christ and say, yes, I have the mind of Christ. So I can think great things and I can think what God wants me to do. But it doesn't say I have the mind of Christ. It's not you we don't, even have, we don't even have a word for you, plural, and you. We've got rid of you, plural, and you, singular. We have the mind of Christ. We do. You don't. We do. We do. Together, we find the will of God for our lives. Alone, we, will, we may well miss it. So we need to be in a great church, who people who know you really well, who can help you to find out what you want to do, what, what to do, who can, who can prod you, who can show you how to follow Jesus. It's just so important. Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I, I can't stress enough that so many key decisions need to be made as a group because we can get it wrong. But when we think something's the right decision and then we talk to a wise friend who knows us, not some random person who doesn't know us very well that we ring up and they're like, I don't know, maybe, but someone who's see us every week, they see how we serve, they see how we operate, they see what we're good at. They, we, we can make great decisions together. And so, you know, that's all part of being in the, in the right church with the right people. So I was fascinated when I looked back over my life, how many of what I, I always thought, you know, what we did was actually part of the church that we were part of at that time. We were in um, Pastor Phil Pringle's church, C3 at Oxford Falls. And, you know, I talk about going to Russia, how it was just a, a really wonderful missionary opportunity. But Phil Pringle was the one at a camp in Maru who said, we're going to send a couple to Russia. He just put it out there. And I was sitting next to Chris. And I remember we just squeezed each other's hands. We just went, oh, like, oh, that word went into our heart. That could be us. And it was us. And, and you know, we, I remember we visited, we visited and um, Phil and the guys, we had a really funny meeting actually. He said that and we thought maybe it was us, but we didn't know. And at that time we were trying to figure out what does God want us to do with our lives? We don't know. We just, Russia, maybe, I don't know. But we thought maybe we'd start a church. We didn't know. And I remember thinking, let's go and see Pastor Phil so we can ask him for ideas. It was kind of like, let's just, let's just talk about it. We just don't know. So we rang him up, his secretary, and said, we'd like to come and talk to you. And uh, he said, great. So we arrived at the office and we came in and we, I remember walking in and going, oh, because Phil, Simon, Greg, oh, literally all the pastors from the church were in the room, all of them. Remember? It was so weird. It was like, we were like, why are you all in here? Like, we just wanted to have a little chat with our pastor about, you know, we don't know what to do. What should we do? You know, we didn't, we felt some kind of calling, some stirring. They were all in there. 
weirdly. So we were sort of went in and sat down like, yes. And then Phil said, so what did you want to talk to us about? And we're like, we don't really know. We just came to see you to say we don't really know what we should be doing with our life. And they went, oh. And then all the other pastors went, oh. Because they thought we had some big announcement. We didn't have an announcement. We had nothing. So everyone was just kind of, we were all sitting in this room going, what are we all doing in this room? And I'm thinking, why did you all join into the meeting? Because somehow the word got out, Christian Ruth coming to see us. And they went, I want to come into that meeting. And it was, it was so weird. And then, and then I remember they, he, we said, well, and then they, we, were, we all sat there for a moment, sort of flummoxed. What are we doing here? And then I think Chris said, I mean, your comment about Russia kind of struck a chord. We, you know, we were thinking about that. And then it was like, no. The anointing fell and every single person in that room knew at that instant, we're going to Russia. We just knew. It was like we all went, oh, and they went, oh, oh, oh you, you could do that. And we went, yeah, we could. And they went, yeah, 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 that's it. We all knew. And I remember Phil said, now don't rush, don't rush, we'll pray about it. And we were like, we'll pray about it. But I knew we're going to Russia. And it was because, but we were in submission and we were listening and we all knew and there was such safety in being with those people who made that call. And so when you're in a great church with the right people and, you know, that church isn't perfect and neither is this church. So you might think, well, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to talk to, you know, Chris and Ruth or Janelle or Nikki or all these wise people. Like, how would they know? They don't know me that well. They don't, they don't get everything right. I could, we could have said that about Pastor Phil and some of those guys. Like, they weren't perfect either. They're still not. And they, they'd admit that. But the thing is, God was using them because they were the people that we were in submission to. And I was fascinated how many of our key decisions were with their approval even though for us, in a big church like that, we didn't even talk to Phil very much. You know, he was kind of further away because that's just the nature of a bigger church. But you've got to be with the right people and you've got to be in submission. Again, Phil mentioned, I remember he rang us up when we were in Russia. said, we're going to start a church on the Central Coast. We were like, yeah, that's not for us. But it was, once again. And finally, find the right people, good friends, good church, and marry well. So I found the right man of God who is just a little less than God. (laughs) I found him. And you know what? Sometimes when you're in the right church with the right people, you never know that right person might be in that right church, which is exactly, of course, what happened with Chris. He was in the church. And I just remember noticing him thinking, who is that guy? Like, who's that guy? So anyway, praise God. That's another story for another day. But... I met Chris, so it's great. Marry the right person. Marry a man or a woman of God. And that's definitely the right way to go. And if you find yourself married to someone who isn't particularly godly, praise the Lord. You have an opportunity to be so wise and wonderful, don't you? You have an opportunity to pray and seek God all the more. (laughs) We all have our different challenges in life. So 30 to 40, I've written... Work hard, play hard for Jesus. Chris's was dwell in the land. If you are between the age of 30 and 40, you have a lot of energy, whether you realise it or not. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. This is Colossians 3.23. As working for the Lord, not for men, since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. For you serve the Lord Christ. We were in Russia the very day I turned 30. I remember we were driving in the car in or out of, into Russia. I remember that, thinking, oh, because it was not easy driving back from beautiful 
Western Finland with colours and food and everything bright going into Russia. It was a bit dark in those days and I think dark again now. But um, so we came home and we started pastoring this church. We served God. We were preaching and teaching and pastoring. We... We did outreaches and marriage seminars in Thailand and Vietnam and missions trips and we taught in Bible colleges. We even wrote a play and I remember I wrote a play called Dave. Do you, who remembers Dave? Who was in the play? And, um, you know, we perform, we wrote, I wrote the thing and then we performed it over one weekend. Saturday we rehearsed. I think Sunday we did the play. Is that it? I can't remember. I do remember that Dave, that Byron was, Dave was like a modern Jesus thing, you know. Dave was Jesus on the Central Coast, you know, walking on water at Terrigal. We just, you know, it was all a bit of fun. And, uh, and, uh, and I remember that Byron played Jesus, you know, and I was thinking if we did it today, Byron's probably a bit old to play Jesus now, isn't he? Yeah. So I was thinking if we did it play today and we needed a Jesus in our church, Caleb, it's Caleb. Yeah, Caleb. <laughs> Also in the family, also a little lower than God, but <laughs> you've got to have the, he's got to be around about 30. He's got to have the look. I think, yeah, Caleb, you would, you would be our next Jesus. So, yeah, if you, uh, if you want to do a play, that's what we'll do. But um, <laughs> here's the thing. At this age, you do have a lot of energy. And what are you going to do with it? Are you just going to build your life? Are you just going to build your home and, and, and raise your kids and spend your life driving your kids to a million different engagements and sports and everything? Because you can do that. And don't get me wrong, that is good. But use your energy to serve Jesus, number one. Number one. Just pour your heart out. It says, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it with all your heart working for the Lord. He will reward you. I remember at that time, you know, we scratched together, we bought a house, God helped us. And I remember thinking, we should, we should buy more, we should do investments, we should do all this. And, you know, I'd start to look into it and I'm like, oh, I, don't, I, don't have the, I don't have the knowledge, obviously. <laughs> but I didn't want to get the knowledge because I was too busy studying the Bible and I, I, didn't, I didn't have the energy for it. And it just wasn't for us. And you need to know that. You need to know what's for you. Some of you probably are called to that. We weren't because our focus was on serving the Lord. And you need to know what's your energy and your focus on because you can only do so much, even with all that energy, you know, but it, it was our focus was Jesus. And with our children as well, make sure you put Jesus first because it's easy at that stage to put your children first. I remember I loved the idea of our kids doing nippers. I thought, yeah, surfing, let's do it. Learn to, learn to deal with the surf, we're swimmers, yes. But it was a Sunday morning and I remember asking on the entire Central Coast, does anyone do nippers on a Saturday morning? Nobody. So guess what? We didn't do nippers because we go to church on Sunday morning. We serve Jesus and we're in church. So our kids didn't do it. I think they've survived. I think they're okay. Do you know what I'm saying? We put God first. We put our energy into serving God. We put our energy into serving in His house because God loves His church. He loves His church. It's His bride. So don't be casual about God's church. Don't be casual about God's bride because that's not very polite, is it? So I love God. Don't, don't like His wife very much, but, you know, He's all right. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's just watch that. So prioritise Jesus. Yes, raise family, buy a house and do that. But use your energy for him. That's what I would say. 40 to 50, Chris's was counted all joy and mine would be persevere. It's essentially the same thing. 
Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. It's an interesting concept, isn't it? Growing weary doing good. You think if you're doing something good, it's always fun, isn't it? No, (laughs) it's not. You can get tired of doing the same thing over and over and over, even though it's good. And I think some people at this stage do get a bit tired. It's like, yeah, I did church. I've been there, done that, done church. Yeah, well, I used to play in the band. Well, you know. I mean, I feel that sometimes just about cooking. I mean, cooking for, for years and years and years. I even said to Chris, when Keelan moves out, I'm having, I'm having a month off. We're not, I'm not cooking. Because I, I I've raised six children. I was just starting to back off a little bit after the four. And then I got two more hungry heads. And Keelan's just getting hungrier and hungrier. He's a 17-year-old who's you know, only just hitting the right weight range. So I'm like, I've got to cook for him. You know, he comes home, you know how tradies, they eat a lot, don't they? Tradies, man. So what's that? Robulars. Rotwheelers, are they? Okay. Thanks, Thanks, Frosty, for that little addition there. (laughs) Hungry dogs. Okay. Right. (laughs) Um, So you Rotwheelers out there. Um, but, you know, even cooking, you can get tired of cooking. And it's a good thing to cook, but you can get a little bit tired of doing the same thing over and over. And it says, basically, you can get a tired of doing the same thing for God over and over. And I've seen that. And we must not. We must stay fresh right through these middle years and keep at it and keep being excited because I've seen people that just drift off around about 40, 50, sort of just don't go to church so much anymore or back away or... You know, just maybe change their beliefs slightly. And I'm like, no, no, we're going to carry on. And you may have difficulties. This, you know, you can have seasons, decades even, where life can be a little tough. Sometimes those sweet kids that you've been driving around and, you know, all over the place when they're six and seven to all their sporting events, they're teenagers, they might not be so pleasant anymore. They might, but have a bit of attitude sometimes. So, um, you know, you can, you can maybe don't feel, maybe you've hit, you know, maybe you're going toward 50 and you think, hang on a sec, I'm supposed to be the CEO of my company. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to earn a lot. I'm, whoa, 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 what's happening? You can get a little bit freaked out by the fact that maybe all your youthful dreams aren't quite what you thought they were. Or perhaps you are really full on for Jesus and you're getting attacked. Because that's what happened to us. We didn't back off from serving him, but boy, did the devil try and punch us off. And so you can, that's why Chris and I both write just persevere, because we had some serious spiritual attack at that stage. We really did. And uh, I remember going to a pastor's conference once, and uh, the pastors would get around and share their war story, like old soldiers, you know, like, oh, I remember. And, I, you know, I remember someone said, oh, well, I got attacked by an axe with an axe. A guy came to my front door, attacked me with an axe. Or here's one, my husband left me for another man. They were pastors. Or a current affair did an expose about our church. Or we were robbed at gunpoint on the missions field. Or, of course, the ultimate. Yeah, I broke my arm in a fish pond. It's tough. It's so tough. It's so tough. On the mission field. Yeah, in, in, a, in an ex- expensive villa in Bali. <laughs> Life's tough, I'm telling you. So, <laughs> sorry, darling. I know you've been through worse than that. But, um, but all of those are true. Every single one that I just read to you is absolutely true of pastors and leaders 
that I know. So, and they do often happen, you know, well, they can happen whenever, trials and tribulations. But again, we persevere, whether it's just out of the regularity and the normalness of life or whether it's from actually being attacked by... I remember this guy that got attacked by an axe. He used to share his story. He was a great guy, great man of God. And, uh, and he had, a, he had a, a permanent limp. Was it a limp? He had a limp after that. It was, you know, it was pretty serious. And, um, but he, and he said, oh, I sought the Lord about it, but the Lord reminded me that Jacob had a limp. So I'm all right, I'm all right. You go like this, you go, come on. He was just great. He just went on for God. I think he's gone on to glory now, hasn't he? Bless him. Um, Romans 5.3 says, Not only that, but we also glory. We glory. We boast about tribulation, difficulty, troubles, trials, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. There's that character again. And character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been shed into our heart. There's a whole bunch of things that I've been speaking about just in that one verse. So praise the Lord. So the final lesson, 50 to 60, is to be wise. Be wise. You've been through a lot now. I looked up about grey hair. Most people, believe it or not, their hair begins to turn grey at around 30. Who knew? The women disguise it so well. Around 40, no, some begin in 30. Around 40, it's most people. Half of all people have a significant amount of grey hair by the time they turn 50. Interesting. Now, by a genetic quirk, I'm actually doing quite well on that front. This is all natural, I'll have you know. So I may not be grey. I know my brother has none at all. He's even older than me. I may not be grey, but I am 60. And as far as the Jews were concerned, either grey hair, which by 60 should be there, either grey hair or turning 60 is actually when you turn old. That is, they, they actually classify at the age of 60, you are now considered an elder. They've, I looked up this Jewish, whole Jewish thing. They actually have it all. They say, by 20, the Jews' life work begins, but he does not take positions of authority until 30. At 40, begins discernment. By 50, the Jew is ready to counsel others. Not until 60 is a man considered an elder. And at 80, he's endowed with special strength. So that's kind of cute. Um, but the Bible is wonderful because every age is important in the Word of God. And Leviticus says this, Leviticus 19.32, Rise before the grey head. Rise up. Rise up. Honour someone who is older because when they are older, they should have more wisdom. Proverbs 20, 29, the glory of young men is their strength and grey hair is the splendour of the old. Proverbs 16, 31, grey hair is a crown of glory. It is attained along the path of righteousness. Or if like me, you don't have a lot, it's just turning 60. So, <laughs> but, um, so, you know, as we begin, it's just fantastic. The Word of God is exciting to be young and full of energy. And, but, but as we get older, we should be full of greater wisdom. Not everybody is. Not everybody is. But we ought to be. I read a great quote um, by someone. Let's see if I can find it. And he said, um, Ellicott says this, by 60, you may have lost your youthful enthusiasm for most things, 
But we must make the most of every opportunity in quickness, seizing it, and in sagacity, wisdom, in using it to the utmost, whether by silence or by speech, by facing danger or by avoiding it, by yielding to a crisis or by conquering it. We should be, as we're older, a venerable old age. Grey hair can speak to gravity, wisdom, prudence, and command reverence and respect. When those who are old walk in the ways of God and true religion, keeping up worship and private devotion, as well as constantly attending to the ministry of the word, they are very venerable and respectable, and their old age is a good old age. But otherwise, a sinner, a hundred years old, is accursed and contemptible and a shocking sight. <laughs> so, yeah, good, strong. So let's be sure as we get to 50 and 60 and beyond, obviously I can't preach about being, you know, 70 and 80 because I'm not there yet, but that we are wise and that we keep learning and we keep learning all of these lessons and that we are somebody that hopefully young people look up to because the Bible is clear, and this is good for you younger people, that you're actually meant to ask advice from older people. It says, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. It says, listen to older people. And even if you don't think they're altogether fantastic, there's still lessons that you can learn from them. So it's wonderful that, but, but as older people, we need to make sure that we're wise and that we're using our time well and carefully. And I found 50 to 60 a very busy season because I still had teenagers but you have your you know, older parents and you have your church and you've got to use real wisdom to know how to lead life well and use your time wisely. So, you know, it's, a, it's an exciting time to, to be wise. And if you are, then it's so, it's so satisfying helping the next generation, isn't it? You know, look at Bethany and Justin there, madly in love. I remember when Bethany met Justin, he wasn't saved. And she was a good little girl and so she was like, Nope. He would ask her out on dates and she was like, nope, nope, you're not saved. No, 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 no. <laughs> so, because they met at hockey. And then, and then I remember once I was playing hockey and were you playing in our team? It was a, it was an indoor team and he was there and we played together. And then afterwards I chatted to him and I thought, he's a really good guy. I really like this guy. I was like, I went home, I said, oh, I really talked to that Justin guy. And she goes, oh, yeah. I go, he's actually a really good guy, Beth. And she was like, oh, okay. So I asked him to church and he came to church and he got saved. And now look, they're happily married. So again, you know, as older people, we should be in a position where we can help the next generation to, to get married, make good decisions, choose the right career, all of that stuff. It's exciting, exciting. So praise God. Six decades, six generations. God is awesome. He has a plan for each season and each season is so special and so wonderful. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Everything is beautiful. All the different seasons are beautiful when you're with Him. So exciting times. Let's go. Let's live life to the full. Amen. Praise God. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father God, thank you, God, that we have so much to learn, Lord God, over a lifetime. And it's never too late to learn these lessons, Lord God. Never, ever too late because you are good. 
And I pray that every heart here would grab a hold of what you want us to learn. And we would grow. Father, I pray especially for people here who don't know you, who've never given you their life. They have no real relationship with you. And I pray, Father, that they would decide today that they want to do that. They'd go, Lord, let's start at the beginning and let's get to know you, God. And I pray if that's you, I pray you'd make that decision today. And I pray you'd talk to your friend or to me and you'd make a good decision. Okay, I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to follow Him. I need to become a Christian. And I pray, Father God, for all of us here who've given our life to You, I pray that we will continue to lay down our life for You and obey You with all our hearts, Father. Help us, God. Help us. We can't do it without You. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.